Hi, my name's Sandy Bailey, and today's reading is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And um, you'll find it uh, if you grab your Bibles and have a look. And the title is Pleasures Are Meaningless. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Well, a very warm welcome to you. My name is Bruce Clark, and I'm excited about opening up the Bible again today to see what it has to say to us. The 17th century thinker Blaise Pascal famously said these words about pleasure and happiness. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whoever, whatever different means they employ, they will all tend to this end. And what he was saying is all of us deep down actually want to be happy. And whether it's the 17th century with Blaise Pascal or today in the 21st century, it's a great reality. The catch cry of our age is this. If it feels good, then just go and do it. In other words, don't just think about life, go and experience life and find pleasure. And if you find and experience pleasure by just going and doing it, then it will lead to a happy life, a fulfilled life. And I want to say to us today, it's actually one of the great lies of this age that we live in. You see, what our current culture believes is that the meaning and purpose of life is found in the exploration and the experience of pleasure. And it's this theme that I want to explore today in the message. Today, we're in the second week of our journey through the Old Testament wisdom book that's called Ecclesiastes. We started two weeks ago, the week before Mother's Day, uh, when Scott opened up chapter one. And the word Ecclesiastes is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word koaleth, which simply means the teacher. And what we've got here in Ecclesiastes is the wisdom of the teacher as he goes on a journey through life to work out what the meaning of life actually is. And we saw last week when we opened up chapter one at the very beginning that there's this sense of helplessness as he reflects on the life that he discovers 
And the summary words in chapter 1, verse 2 are these. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And I think a natural response is, well, it's not a very cheery book, is it? (laughs) And on the surface, it may appear that way. And so you ask the question, why do we look at this kind of book that looks so depressing in COVID-19 when we're all kind of stuck inside? And I want to say to us, um, if COVID-19 has done one thing for us, it's to slow us down. And we've been slowed down in a way that's enabled us to spend more more time with our families, but it's also enabled us to have time to think about the deeper and more profound questions that life throws at us. And they're questions that we might ordinarily overlook or ignore. And I don't think there's another book in the Bible that takes us on a deeper journey to think through these big questions of the meaning of life. Where is meaning to be found? Where is purpose and joy to be found? And so it's incredibly helpful, I think, to go on this journey because it's actually going to help us discover what is the meaning of life, where purpose and meaning are found. And what is the reason for getting out of bed every morning and going off to our work? And importantly today, where we will actually find a sense of meaning and joy and happiness. And I deeply believe all of us want to have some level of happiness in our life. And so it's a great question to ask today. And so the title of my talk is this, The Paradox of Pleasure. And I've got three things I want to go through. Firstly, the promise of pleasure. Secondly, the problem with pleasure. And thirdly, the pointer from pleasure. Let's have a look at that first one, the promise of pleasure. We're looking at chapter two of Ecclesiastes. And in verse one, we see this part of his wisdom project explained. Verse one, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. And that also proved to be meaningless. There's a sense of invitation of the speaker, the teacher, preaching to himself, come now. And if you were to put a kind of Australian uh, transliteration on it, you might say, come now, let's have some drinks and see if we can find the meaning of life at the pub. I think that is what he's saying here. But to understand what's going on here in chapter two with the teacher's reflection and his journey into pleasure to try and find the meaning of life, we need to go back to chapter one just to see how they chapters one and two connect together. Ecclesiastes one introduces us to the teacher and his search for the meaning of life. And the starting point of that we saw in chapter one, verse 12, was a journey to discover through knowledge and wisdom. And you could say, by understanding the meaning of life through philosophy. He wanted to explore the world under heaven and try and make sense of us. And he starts with wisdom and philosophy and study. And he says this in terms of his conclusion, chapter one, verse 16. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. In other words, I know a lot now. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. In other words, I tried to make sense of what I'd learnt. But I learnt that this too was a chasing after the wind, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. In other words, the end of his journey, philosophically, in terms of acquiring lots of knowledge was that he came to a frustrating end. It was a vanity. It was a chasing after the wind. He got nowhere. 
There was just an emptiness. And it depressed him. And let me give you a 21st century example of that with the thinking of one of the great minds of the last hundred years, the very well-known physicist Stephen Hawking. And back in 1995, he was interviewed and he was reflecting on, to use the words of Ecclesiastes, life under the sun and what he had discovered. And this is what he said. The human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate sized planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one among a hundred billion galaxies. We are so insignificant that I cannot believe the whole universe exists for our benefit. It's a fascinating reflection, isn't it? From the man who many say was one of the greatest minds of the last hundred years. That when you sum up all he's discovered, and he was a noted atheist in the sense that he said science had explained everything that we need to know. We have no need for God or theology now. And you come with this very depressing conclusion that we're just an accident, that we are the chemical scum of the universe. And I think if you hold to that belief, you go, well, life is vanity. Life is meaningless. Where do I turn to find meaning and purpose in this world if that's actually who we are? And what we discover is that the teacher in Ecclesiastes, who's come to similar conclusions, says, what I'm going to now turn my mind to is pleasure. I couldn't find anything above, beyond, so I'm going to look inside now, if I can put it this way. And it's interesting, Tim Keller helpfully points out that the teacher fascinatingly goes down the same path that Western civilization has gone in terms of the secularization of our thinking and our culture over the last hundred years. And one of the things that, if I can say, is um, so typical of Australian culture and Western culture is the way we have now excluded God from the conversation and from the sense that God is the one who provides our meaning and purpose in life. And to be secular means to reject God and faith. And where have we gone as a result of the search for meaning and purpose? Well, internally within ourselves. And that's what happens if there's no one over us, if there's nothing that we believe in that makes sense of this world, if there's nothing that we live for or in fact is worth dying for, well, then you go down the route that you see in chapter two of Ecclesiastes. Let's explore pleasure then and see if within I can find a meaning and purpose for life. Let's look internally. And you think about the creed of Western culture today. And it's these kind of statements. If it feels good, do it. I have a right to do whatever I want to if I'm not hurting anyone else. And that's what our world now believes. Not there is a God over us whom we should give our life to, but rather there is the self that I should pursue. And that's exactly what the teacher seeks to explore. And so let me read to us from chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, and just see what he discovers on this journey. Verse 1, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. In other words, I've tested philosophy, didn't find anything there. Now I'm going to find and see if pleasure has any benefit. But that also proved to be meaningless. Verse 2, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. 
They wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. And here's the summary, verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure my heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil. And I want you to know two things. Firstly, verse two, it says uh, that he explored both laughter and pleasure. And they're two different words in the Hebrew language. Uh, laughter tends to be used of superficial fun. Pleasure, more thoughtful fun. You could say laughter is the lowbrow pleasure. It's the going to the pub. It's having a whole bunch of drinks and being out with your mates. Pleasure, well, it's the sense of going to the opera house to be entertained, to go to the art gallery, to be wowed and stimulated and captivated. And what he's saying is whether it's lowbrow or highbrow, he said, I've actually tried it all. I've tried getting smashed. I've tried the arts. And neither of them provided any sense of fulfillment that lasted. And the second thing to note is, when he went on this journey to explore pleasure, he, he went the full max. <laughs> I mean, 99.9% .9 of us could not go on the journey that he went on. He was able to go to the extreme with the pleasures he could sample because of his position. There was nothing he didn't try. And so when you read through there, verse 3, there's drinking, there's partying. Verses 4 to 7, there's the whole acquisition of property and possessions. Verse 8, he basically has more money than he knows what to do with. And with that would have been more partying. Verse nine, he's got a harem. And so he had pleasure through sex. Verse nine also talks about his accomplishments. And so you're looking at someone who, in terms of their exploration of pleasure, their ability to experience all that life offers, has effectively tried it all. He did it all. He tried it all. And then he did a little bit more. And you see, this is the promise and the lure of pleasure. Just a little bit more and then you'll be happy. Just one more trip. Just a little bit bigger boat. Just another wave, another surfboard, another drink, another relationship, another conquest. You name it. It's just one more. And in the moment when you're experiencing all these things, there is a great sense of pleasure of enjoyment, but it's meaningless. It's Hevel. It's a chasing after the wind because before you know it, it's gone. And that feeling that you look forward to is so fleeting. It's so temporary. Here one moment, gone the next, a chasing after the wind, which leads me to the second point, the problem with pleasure. It's fascinating. As a pastor, I obviously talk with lots of people. And over the years, I've talked with many people about the issue of 
pain and the problem of it, the problem of suffering, the problem of injustice. And you don't have to think a lot about those very important topics to know there's a reality to them, that they're emotionally charged, they're very difficult, particularly for people who are suffering the pain, the suffering, the injustice that life unfortunately does um, put us through on many occasions. But what I've not really had people talk to me about and come and confess is the problem of pleasure. But let me tell you, it is a big problem. Talk to anyone who admits that they are an addict and you're talking to someone who's got a problem with pleasure. And whether it's sex or drugs or alcohol, and they're just the ones that we commonly speak of, there's many more that we get addicted to. What happens is that it's all about the next fix, the next drink, the next conquest, the next whatever. To get that hit, to get that relief, to get that feeling. And the problem is the pleasure passes and what we're filled with is a sense of emptiness and despair, of guilt. And what we thought would fill us up leaves us completely empty. And that's the problem. Pleasure promises the world. Pleasure looks exciting. But when we pursue it as ultimate, as the thing that we'll find our meaning and purpose through, it can never deliver because it hasn't got the strength to carry that weight of expectation. And listen to the conclusion of the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. He said, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and he'd done an enormous amount, and what I'd told to achieve, he said, everything was meaningless. It was hevel. It was this sense of here today, but it's gone tomorrow. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. In fact, he looks and goes, what have I got left to gain, to benefit from all that I've experienced? And he tried to find meaning and purpose through pleasure, but it amounted to nothing. It was Hivel. I don't know if you've heard of Professor Martin Seligman. He is one of the great fathers of the movement of positive psychology. And in his book, Flourish, he defines the happiest life as the one with the true sense of meaning. He concluded that the pursuit of pleasure on its own had no bearing on increasing happiness, but that the pursuit of meaning itself was the strongest factor in increasing life satisfaction. And here's a quote from the book. The meaningful life is about finding a deeper sense of fulfillment by using your strengths in the service of something larger than yourself and nourishing other words. In other words, you're not going to find it within by the pursuit of pleasure. You'll find it outside of yourself. And I would say in the knowledge and service of God and in the community and the service of those around us. And the great story of people who've become rich and in the world's eyes have had it all is that they so often give you this testimony, I've been to the top and it's empty. And here's an example of that. His name is Russell Brand, if you don't know him. He's an English comedian, actor, radio host and writer. And he's someone who's reached the top in his career and made lots of money. And he said this, 
I thought it would be good to be rich and famous. It would be good to have stuff. And don't we all think that? It'd be good to have lots of money and to have stuff. Well, listen to what he says. It'd be good to have money and be invited to the party. That's what I thought. Well, I've been invited and I've been in. And we're having this chat in this Swiss private men's club in East London. You can just hear his English accent. It's super cool, he says. There are bare brick walls. Everyone's looking double good looking. I've been inside now. I've seen the other side of the looking glass. And it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. It doesn't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. And that could be multiplied over and over again by those who've had it all and found it very empty. And you see, this is the problem with pleasure. It offers much, but it never delivers that sense of lasting sense of purpose and meaning and happiness in our life. And there's a great difference between happiness, which lasts and joy, which is deep and pleasure, which is here for a moment and gone tomorrow. Pleasure by itself can never deliver the weight of expectation that we place upon it. And what's fascinating, I think, is that we think with pleasure, if we keep pursuing it by that one more, by that bigger, by that better, that if we keep walking down the path called pleasure, finally we'll get to the end and we'll reach some kind of nirvana. But the problem is there is no end. And the problem is not that we won't reach the end of the pathway. The problem is the pathway itself. It is the wrong pathway to trying to find happiness and meaning in life. The pursuit of pleasure for ultimate meaning will only ever lead to despair and emptiness. Well, let me finish with my third point, the pointer from pleasure. Because I'm not against pleasure in and of itself. C.S. Lewis, the great English writer and philosopher, wrote these words. It was a sermon he preached in the chapel at Oxford University in the 1940s. And the sermon was called The Weight of Glory, and he was imploring people to seek their meaning and happiness and joy in knowing the glory of God. And in it, he warned people about the lure of worldliness and the pursuit of pleasure in and of itself in order to find meaning and purpose. And he said this, let me read. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. And listen to his conclusion, for they are not the thing in itself. In other words, pleasure is not the thing in itself. They are only the scent of a flower we've not found, the echo of a tune we've not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. In other words, there's a longing within us that the pleasures of this world point to. The different pleasures of this world, though, are not the real thing. Rather, they are a pointer to something external to us, which is where real joy is to be found. In other words, there is joy in this world and all the individual pleasures we get to experience actually point us that there is something lasting and eternal 
where you will find meaning and purpose. But in the pleasures themselves, you won't. They are a pointer beyond themselves. Like the scent of a flower we've not found, the echo of a tune we've not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. You see, as a Christian, I would want to say pleasure points us forward to God to see that the individual pleasures of this world are not the thing itself. They are reminders, they are pointers, they are signs to where the true and lasting pleasure is to be found, which is with God himself. And you see, that's actually where you get to in the book of Ecclesiastes. On a number of occasions, as you read through and read ahead in the book, he will say things like this. Here is Ecclesiastes chapter 8.15. He says, So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Now, you think, how does that correlate with what we've just heard in chapter 2? Well, there is a difference. He says, Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. And the place he comes to is this. Pleasure pursued for pleasure's sake will only ever be empty. But when you realise life is a gift from God, you can actually enjoy it in the moment and realise that though it is passing, what isn't passing is our knowledge of him. And we can receive everything from his hand with gratitude and thanksgiving and enjoy life as it comes to us day by day. And that's what he says. It is the gift of God. And so there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life. God has given them under the sun. And one of my favorite verses is in 1 Timothy. And it says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's what we need to learn in relationship to pleasure. Because as Christians, we are not against enjoying the good gifts that God has blessed us with. We are not against pleasure. We are to enjoy pleasure. But we are to take it as a gift of God with contentment. Not hungering for more and bigger and better, but satisfied with what we have and thankful for it and enjoying it. Because the real sense of meaning and purpose and joy in this life will only be found through knowing him who has made us and who has redeemed us. And unlike the teacher in Ecclesiastes, we live on the other side of the cross of Christ. And we know that this God who has set eternity into our hearts so that we seek him has come amongst us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ reveals to us the life that is from God. And when he came, he said so many different things. Here's just two of them. John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. In other words, there is a life that comes from God. It's through Jesus. Two chapters later, he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He then went and died on the cross for our sins. He then rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. 
and he pours out his Holy Spirit into our lives as we come to him in faith and repentance. And he fills our life with joy and peace and grace and forgiveness as we believe in him. And what it means is we can actually find outside of ourselves a pleasure, a joy as we know him, as we serve him. And we can take all of the experiences of life that we get to enjoy along the way as gifts from his good hand. Friends, pleasure in and of itself will offer you the world, but the problem is it will never deliver. And what we need to see is that actually it points us forward to the God who is the giver of all good gifts. And to know the joy of being reconciled and brought back in friendship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus. The joy of having our hearts filled with his love as our sins are washed away, as we're brought into his family and made right with him. And as we get to serve him in the world and find meaning and purpose and joy in that. And if you're listening today, and you don't know this, Jesus, I invite you to come to him. He says, come to me that you might have life and have it to the full, that you might have the light of life, fill your heart and mind so that you know God and you know the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternity through all that he's done in his death and resurrection. And if that's you today, I call you to come. Come and give your life to him. Come and be forgiven of your sins. Come and receive his love and his forgiveness and start walking with him in the joy and the fellowship of the saints. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he's done for us. May we find our pleasure in knowing him and may we accept every good gift that comes from your hand with joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. And may we live our lives walking faithfully following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.